What's up, Painless Flipping Podcast listeners? Before we dive into today's episode, I've got something special for you. Recently, I had the pleasure of joining an amazing podcast, and I wanted to share that conversation with you all. It's a fantastic discussion you won't want to miss. So without further ado, let's jump into that crossover episode and hear what we had to say. Enjoy. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you work within the real estate investing industry. There's another good chance that you would like to increase the sales of your products or services. Well, you're in the right place. United States Real Estate Investor is a platform you need to place your brand directly in front of your target audience. With our focused, growing audience of real estate investing beginners, enthusiasts, and seasoned professionals, you can continually reach our captivated viewers and listeners with ease. To learn more or to get started today, just visit UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. That's UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. Get ready to increase your brand awareness and your bottom line. Attract clients with content. Hey, hey, welcome to This Month in Real Estate Investing. Got another great show. Uh, in this episode, we'll be covering a variety of news items, including from transactions to interactions. What's next for experiential retail? The United States' first Bitcoin real estate marketplace launches through Coinbase integration. And Sam Zell thinks workers will return to the office. Uh, all this and more on this episode of This Month in Real Estate Investing. Let's start the show. Hey guys, I'm your host, James Brown, and I help fellow investors reach their passive income goals through our hybrid investing model, as well as other traditional types of investing. Reach out if you want to learn more. Uh, if you're watching live, feel free to comment and ask questions. We'll get those, those comments and questions and, and can reply. Um, our guests today are Dana Jones and me. Um, we had one, I think he was scared to come on. He, uh, decided not to come on in the last minute and another maybe late. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so Dana, we've never met. Um, why don't you introduce yourself and just kind of give us your background and what types of investing you focus on. Okay. Hey, what's going on, James? Nice officially meeting you. Um, my name is Dana Jones. Right there, my um, my place card says Legacy Builder Club, but I'm the co-founder of ePlanet Mortgage. So in ePlanet Mortgage, we're a mortgage company, we're a residential mortgage company. We also do commercial real estate because I'm a part of like a lot of real estate masterminds. And I'm noticing that in my real estate masterminds, we actually focus on fixing flips, but we start to do like commercial syndications. So that's why I have the Legacy Builder Club right there, because I started my mentorship program in real estate like a good month ago. So the Legacy Builder Club has been growing and I've been actually teaching others how they can get into real estate from residential fix and flip, from doing a burn method, which is buy and hold and also do commercial syndications, whereas though you need to actually raise private capital for those deals right there in commercial. Oh, fantastic. 
Cool. Well, let's just jump into the news then. Um, from Forbes, housing market predictions for 2023 are home prices finally becoming affordable. This was a, a good long article. They, they dove into a lot of stuff. Uh, Dana, do you have any thoughts on, or opinions on, on that article right off the bat? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you said our housing prices being affordable. Um, right now, is they're trying to push us through like a recession and all that good stuff. But the housing market is still going up. And I believe it is still affordable because, you know, a lot of people still, because I live in here in California, and a lot of people are buying homes cash, which means they actually had to do something to get that cash to buy these homes. So they are they are affordable because your house is it's like your bank. So, you know, like a lot of people, they invest in, you know, the stock market, they invest in Bitcoin. And then once you do get a piece of the real estate, like I tell people over in California, even if you get a condo, that's like 400,000, you might have to go in it with, you know, with your girlfriend, boyfriend, a buddy or something like that. But once you do get that condo at that $400,000, it's going to appreciate. So, you know, you're going to actually make money off of that asset. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm just kind of looking through my notes here. No problem. They touched on, Rates uh, being lower than where they started um, a little while back. Uh, hope, hopefully that that does happen because that really helps affordability. Yeah, yeah. Well, you saying um, so the rates. So like I say, well, if you look over here, right here, you know, we had this um, the mortgage company e planning building. So I'm actually watching the freaking rates like each and every day, kind of sort of. So the mm -hmm. rate is like the stock market. So it has been fluctuating, but. You know, I guess the whisper thing is the rates are supposed to be going down in like a year to like a year and a half to maybe two years. So I believe we're going to have a big refi boom. So the reason why the rates were going up was the Fed was trying to stop the, um, all the spending and, you know, cause um, inflation and all that good stuff. But people are saying, hey, you know, I still had to have a place to live. And in real estate, you can either rent your property, you can buy your property, or you can be homeless. So people are just still kind of coming together and just some way, somehow coming up with the money to get that real estate and they'll actually be in it at the high rate right now. And once it comes down in like a year and a half or two years, they can actually refinance and take out the cash in which they use to get into that um, particular property. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard some lenders are doing free refis. They're just, you know, and I get that, like they're not doing any loans. Like you gotta do something to generate some, some traffic. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess it depends on like even like in real estate investing because the real estate investing is all about your strategy. So, like I say, uh, my own property and in Los Angeles and also own property in Baltimore and Augusta, Georgia. So my strategy over here when I'm buying property in California is that's like my bank because you know it's not going to cash flow. So you might buy something for like a million bucks here, and you know your mortgage might be five thousand dollars, whereas though your rent is like, um, I mean your rent could you could be losing your rent could be like $4,800, so you can be losing $200 a month. But in the course of a year, that property is going to go up from anywhere from like $150,000 to maybe $200,000. But if you go over to East Coast, it's a different strategy. You might get something for like $200,000. Your mortgage could be $2,000, and then, you know, your rent would be like $3,000. So you'll actually be cash flowing on that. So it's all about whatever strategy you want to do. So I say all I can say is I'm a part of a real estate investing um mastermind i'm part of like a several masterminds so even though the rates went up and the market started to slow down my investor friends they still had to do um what we call a dscr loan so they actually had to have a one-year term for their fix and flip product but it had to come out of there so i still was doing like a lot of refinances and i'm still doing refinances to this day 
So it's like, it's all about, you know, where you position yourself at. So it might be a little slower testy. You're doing conventional FHA or VA, but from an investment standpoint, it's, it's on fire. Yo, sorry, guys. Didn't mean to you know, interrupt. What's up, oh. <laughs> Yeah, welcome. Mason Payne. It's the podcast. We all just jump in. Like, when we came in like a ghost. What's up with you, big guy? What's going on? Sorry, guys. I was just wrapping up on a uh, call I do with Batch Leads. Um, I don't know if you guys know Batch yeah. Leads, but I like using their service. So I do a call with them once a week. <laughs> gotcha. Cool. Well, hey. Was it an affiliate call? Um, it, it's a training call. I kind of show people how to use the, the service and how to get deal. Uh, you know, get potential opportunities out of using their uh, software. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Batch pretty cool. Yeah, I like Batch. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Nathan, why don't you, since you just jumped in, kind of give a background on yourself and what, what kind of investing you do? Yeah, of course. Uh, what's up, everybody? My name is Nathan Payne. Uh, apologize for being a little late, but uh, my uh, what I do is I wholesale, um, but I do kind of a different strategy than uh, most people, uh, or at least how I was taught. Uh, when I first started wholesaling, like I was like gung ho, I was knocking doors, cold calling, doing everything I could to find a potential deal. And uh, that's kind of how I thought uh, you started this, this game It's just like, got to go find a deal. You will to find us uh, someone to wholesale to. But now what I do and what I teach in specifically my business and what I teach people I work with is you got to know who your target, your buyer is. You got to know who your end, the end client is. And that is the buyer. So what I do now is I, I, work with buyers and I find out exactly what they need and I develop amazing relationships with them where I can just call them and they'll, they'll answer right now. And I, I run deals by them. So half the time I don't even have to lock up properties before I know what I need to offer or who will buy it. Um, so that's what I've been doing. I've been wholesaling for about five years, but this strategy has really helped me to save money on marketing, be more targeted. And uh, that's what I do. It's called painless wholesaling. So yeah. Cool. Are, are you in just one market? Or are you virtually wholesaling? Yeah, so I specifically do this in uh, Salt Lake City where I work with my buyers. And then I have a v- virtual assistant who does it in Atlanta where he's specifically working with hedge funds and buyers in that area. And uh, then if students or people JV and they bring opportunities that are like really good across the nation, I know how to dispo nationwide. So I, I help them. So, so I'm, I pretty much focus where I'm at, but it's wherever wherever the deal is, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that's pretty good. That's about the X. I say, so you just, you pretty, so you pretty much dispo. Yeah, yeah. So as long as you got the M buy it, and it's almost like once the acquisition comes to you, you're going to have it going like that pretty much. Yeah, because uh, before the market shifted, we were doing the model of like pay-per-click. We were doing all these strategies to spend, to get leads. And the market shifted. It was harder to, you know, negotiate and get the deals that you needed. And I was like, man, I need to be more efficient. I can't be spending all this money and, you know, put, put me in a bad spot. And, you know, after a month or two, I'm in, I'm in trouble if I'm not getting deals. So I was like, how can I do this efficiently? And it was really just came to me. as like, what was I doing this whole time to like have revenue go up? Even when we weren't getting deals, well, it was like working, getting deals for free, right. On market, negotiating through networking. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I decided to go more into this. That's great. That's great. I love it. Yeah, I <laughs> let's uh, let's jump into the next news item from commercial property executive from transactions to interactions. What's next for experiential retail? Um, did you guys have a chance to, to read these, these new items? I, uh, I perused through them. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you have any, any comments right off the bat, so you said, 
So you say what's next? So as far as commercial, you say what's next as far as retail? Experiential retail. Okay. So okay. so basically what they're talking about is, you know, uh, online retail has been killing <laughs> brick and mortar, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. So, right. but you know, there's there's still a place for brick and mortar, and that that that's the experience, you know, like a way to really connect with customers and and help build the brand um, through you know multiple strategies. Um, and it was interesting they were talking about how even Gen Zers very connected digitally, right? They still crave and and want that personal, experiential kind of experience. Um, yeah, that's everything pretty much. Yeah, that, that um, even in in wholesaling and um, you know what I do for my mentorship program and mortgage. I mean that 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 personal touch, that personal feeling is everything because people always like to do business with people who they know, like, and trust. So, I mean, uh, as far as retail, I know these big chain stores are not going anywhere, such as, you know, like a Nordstrom or Macy's. But when I do go to the malls and stuff like that, I do see some of these other brick and mortar stores that haven't, like you said, established a big brand. I see them kind of dwindling away pretty much because everything does seem like it's kind of like online and, you know, we're going to like robotics and AI and all this stuff right now. I, sometimes I feel as though I'm living in the Jetsons. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'm telling my age, but you know, I remember it was the Jetsons and the Flintstones, even how we're sitting there having this conversation now with the podcast. I just feel like it's, um, it's, it's George Jackson and Mr. Spacely pretty much. So it's like, it's gotta be uh, prepared for whatever the future brings pretty much, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I've, I have an office as well and I've, always considering just getting rid of it. I'm like, man, I can just do everything from home now. Right. But uh, yeah, it depends on the business, right? Like the way I, I do business, it's like, do, do I really need ha to have people come in like in a brick and mortar? And the thing I like about having an office for me, that's outside of my home. I'm actually in my home right now, but it kind of gets you in a different mindset. So uh, I think as you hire out people and you grow a company, you got to really take into account, like, you know, having them come leave their home, and come to a place does that help them like kind of get more uh you know more synergy and more like more of a mindset that it's time to work versus stay at home and eat whenever you want <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, um yeah i like what you're saying or that, that that does make sense because when i do work from home it's almost like you take like when you're working in your office as you see i'm in my office mm -hmm. when you're working in your office you probably have like one coffee break or something like that sometimes you might even have like one lunch break if you even had time to have lunch but when you're working for, when you're working at home and you're like in your shorts and all that good stuff pretty much you have like 10 coffee breaks you have like three exactly. lunch breaks so it's almost like because it's like you don't feel like you're kind of being accountable to nothing so the office feel does make you be accountable and that's everything yeah, yeah. so I, I think a lot of companies will go back to the brick and mortar just because uh i think i i would have to look at data right but i would say, probably say it's not as efficient to uh to have people work from home yeah we'll, we'll get into that on the sam zell article okay all right yeah yeah I was, I was taking some notes uh on some of the experiential stuff you know and, and we're talking commercial retail right and, and none of us are in that space mm -hmm. thinking about that from a retail's retailer's point of view or from the owner that's leasing out to them but i just i thought it was kind of cool i just wrote down different things that that people are doing in retails for that experiential part. Um, so 
creative storytelling, artwork installations, live music, children's events, uh, games, uh, virtual reality, holographic stuff. Um, yeah, that's kind of the, the top level stuff. Oh, virtual reality, yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. real good. That's like, that's jamming right now, the virtual reality. Mm -hmm. and also, I guess you can even see those escape rooms. Have you guys ever been yeah. to an escape room? No, oh, yeah. uh, have you? I have, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was at one like three I'm glad, that, I'm glad that I go with people because sometimes I'm like, I don't think I'd be able to figure this out myself. You can't <laughs> go by yourself. <laughs> yeah, I can't go by myself, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Antonio like says, uh, the VA, you know? Antonio says, like, uh, old school arcades when we were teenagers. I think that that's coming back. Really? Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Freaking arcade, yeah. History repeats itself, man. 360 degree, everything goes around in the purple. Yeah. Are you guys going to start wearing leg warmers? Oh, man. <laughs> actually, I, I, not, not not for fashion. I actually had to get some uh, like spandex legs. I guess they're leg warmers, but spandex for because I do jujitsu in the morning. So uh, they're, yeah, I'm starting to rock some of those. If that's, yeah, those little tights, right? That's what leg warmers are, the little tights. No, they're they're like more fluffy. Um, oh, never mind. I thought yeah. leg warmers were like the little spandex stuff. My bad, guys. <laughs> yeah. You're too young. <laughs> yeah, my bad. <laughs> I, yeah. I never mess with leg warmers. Yeah. Yeah, Google. It's just the chicks would wear them. So. <laughs> you say ladies is wearing them. Yeah. Yep. All right. Hey, let's jump into our next news item. This summer, brace for another red-hot housing market in Massachusetts. Um, let's see. Yeah, did you guys read that one? You said red-hot market in Massachusetts? Yeah. I'm actually it's, looking at them right now. It's on, it's on the TMIREI April 2023 news items. Is that? Yeah. yeah right. Okay, yeah. I, I'm seeing what you're saying. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I guess their, their housing stock over the last 15 years has been depleted, um, like a lot of markets. Um, let's see, at the end of March, there were 4,157 single-family homes. Um, in February 2008, there were 33,000, so <clears throat> vastly different. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, I'm okay. The summer breaks for, okay. All right, so I'm with you guys now. Wow. Well, you know, I've never, I, I do deals nationwide, but I've never done a deal in that area in Massachusetts. I can't even say the word. I struggle with the word Massachusetts, Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, th I don't think I've ever done a deal there because I think, because I think it's pretty competitive. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a hot market. Cause when I was doing pay-per-click nationwide, we would get lots of leads from, you know, the Midwest, uh, South, like Florida, Georgia. But when it came to like the New York, uh, upper, up North, Maine, Massachusetts, we, we barely get leads because the, yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people have to go hit the internet to sell their house too bad. I, I think there's enough demand up there, which this yeah. article is basically saying the interest rates, um, you know, raising, it's not going to be enough to bring the real estate market out there uh, down. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see their medium price. Uh, was 570. Yeah, and with rates, they're paying 1500 more a month for oh, a mortgage. Yeah, yeah. That hurts. 
Yeah. You think it would affect it, though, but this is saying that it's not going to affect that that market. Yeah, just yeah, it balances out with that limited inventory, right? Must pe- people must be making pretty good money out there. <laughs> I don't know what they're getting paid out there. Yeah. <clears throat> I know it gets the prices out there can be expensive in the Northeast. Yeah. Oh, I also said uh, Amazon and other large companies are bringing the vacancy rate way down too. So that, that oh wow oh yeah if they move yeah yeah that definitely helps for sure. Amazon effect. It's real. Yeah. And cool. I love I love Amazon, bro. I just ordered some. It was like here like that night. It was nuts. You start getting addicted to it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, like fun experience. Uh, yeah, I, I get it now. I really never felt worried or thought too much about it, but now I'm like, I, I get it. It's like, it's kind of addicting. It's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently you like Costco too. Yes. I love Costco. <laughs> Got that that's See, that's the brick and mortar feel, bro. We're talking about that. Like Costco, you it's the experience you get when you go in there with your cart and you see all the abundance and you see all the cool stuff and the samples. Like if they went online, I, w- I wouldn't feel the same about Costco if they just went like, you know, virtual. So it definitely it has its place. Yeah. yeah, let's jump into the next news item uh, from Bazinga. Benzinga. Um, <laughs> I always want to say Bazinga. What was that from... Um, the U.S. lost 1.9 million acres of farmland in 2022. Here's why it matters. Okay. Yeah. So, you know. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't sound good. Yeah. How, so you, how, how about oranges and grapes and all that good stuff? Yeah, so you need that farmland pretty much. Oh, and I guess for all the beef eaters, if you guys eat beef, you need that farmland. Yeah. So for me, I just need to see in the ocean for my fish. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's like, you know, you take away farmland and start building, which, you know, happens everywhere. And then you you don't have enough food to feed the people that are living there. So you got to find a, a balance, right? Yeah, it's it, it, right here. It says that the, uh, the American population is on the rise. So even though, you know, we might think it's uh, cool to build more homes. You also need the agriculture, right? You need agriculture to sustain the, the population growth. So um, there's more mouths to feed. <laughs> yep. There's less land to, 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 you know, grow the food. That's, 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 that's a big problem. Yeah. You know why? Um, I do believe is it is going to be a big problem because you figure with like all this AI and artificial intelligence and, like a lot of people starting to get cancer. And then, you know, even as I was talking about fish, they said you have to farm it. And it seemed like, you know, the more farmland that we lose is like the more they're going to start making our food in the factory. So it's like the life expectancy is going to kind of go down because now you're not eating natural food anymore. You're kind of eating chemicals and chemicals. That is like the start of cancer that's in your body because cancer is something that's in your system that really can't reproduce. You don't really know what it is. So that is kind of going to like, I mean, sure, as the U.S. as the housing market, we're going to be making money. But as we're making money and the population um, and everything is growing, we're going to actually be killing each other off internally pretty much for what we eat. Because like they say in life, you are what you eat. And I mean, we're eating the bad stuff and it's going to kind of catch up with us at a, um, at an earlier age. That's just my thought process on it. Well, my viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see what you're saying because um, not only we, we could be making more money, like you said, but also food prices were going to increase by a lot if there's less 
less agriculture, less like farmers out there, right? The competition, so it's going to increase. So making more money might not even mean anything, right? Basically, yeah, if you can't afford it. So then it's like, I mean, you can't, yeah, then if you can't afford it, then you start looking at it, it's like kind of crazy. Because like I said, um, I live out here in California, and then it's like even with our crime rate. So typically um, in LA, like the crime rate has been down, but being as though like the, the, the housing market, um, like you said, the groceries, everything is going up. And then, as you know, we're starting to see like a lot more people being homeless or kind of like living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. It's actually bringing the crime rate up. So by bringing the crime rate up, it's like people are breaking into your house, just taking little petty things, but they have to do that in order to survive. So you don't realize by what one minor effect can kind of tri- um, trickle down and just affect the whole nation pretty much. We're seeing it over there. And I was talking to a buddy the other day. The crime rate has um, risen in New York and Florida, like everywhere, because people are kind of like, I mean, I can't eat. I can't afford to buy groceries anymore. So I have to make, got to go rob my neighbor or something like that. Just, I, I don't want to do it, but I mean, they feel like they have to do it in order to survive. That's like a crazy thing. And as you know, you start off with an article such as what we're seeing right now, and then you never know that it just happens and it trickles down and yeah. everybody's pretty much affected by it, you know? Yeah. The ripple effect. It's, it's, it's amazing how like something is insignificant. I would think normally if I read that, like, Oh wow, that sucks. But it, yeah, it has a huge effect on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about it. So we start saying, he's like, well, food prices going up, going up. They're like, man, I look at my ring camera and wifey like, look, they broke into another house. Went in there with no mask on and we live in a great neighborhood, but it's like people just come out there just to do it. It's like, you can get upset with them, but it's like, at the end of the day, like, man, I mean, it's kind of hard for them to survive. So I can kind of understand. I don't want to understand because you're breaking into my house, my neighbor's houses, but it's like, it's like survival to fit only the strong survive. And it's like, that's how it is. When you get to like a capitalist society where as though everything is money, 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 you don't realize how the regular nine to five people are affected by it pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing in the article that it pointed out it, with less land, the value is going up. Same as limited inventory for single family homes. So there's actually, you know, that, that's something to look at. Uh, and it was saying too, oh, there's some, some REITs and other platforms like Acre Trader and Farm Together um, that allow you to, to go in and, and invest in land. So something for people to think about. Hey, James, I'm going to tell you one thing we can do. I'm going to I'm um, I guess offline, see if Nathan can find a, kind of find me something over there, like in Georgia or something like that, it's a couple apartment buildings so I can invest in some commercial. So that way right there, if we need to, you know, have some sort of farmland or something like that on that commercial um, property, we can actually do that. So man, the house that you, that's why I do. I invest in apartment buildings. So Nathan, oh, hey, yeah, that's something that I can have you on the lookout for. Hey, yeah, man, apartments are are, are that's a hot commodity right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Multi unit, I love it. Yep. Hold up, James. We mean to get off a topic. Let's get back on topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Um, <laughs> actually, let's take an ad break from our uh, one of our sponsors. Hey, it's me, Antonio Holman, founder of United States Real Estate Investor and producer of This Month in Real Estate Investing. Are you ready to ignite your financial freedom with what has been called the hottest REI strategy around? Or should I say strategies? Enter Jason Pallister's two-day investment blueprint where you will learn the secrets that the real estate investing community doesn't know because they never had a reason to before. 
With Jason's two-day investment blueprint, you will learn how to tackle real estate deals with over 40 different strategies, which means your chances of losing another deal nearly disappears completely. In Jason's two-day life transformation intensive, you will learn how to generate more deals, close deals faster, win more deals over other investors, multiply your real estate deal strategies, and much more. Jason's two-day investment blueprint can help you grow your REI business to six and seven figures faster with much less aggravation. If you want to learn how to invest in any market in the United States, even the tough markets, and close multiple deals per month, visit twodayblueprint.com. That's the number two, dayblueprint.com. And make sure you tell them you heard it here on This Month in Real Estate Investing. Don't believe the no more good deals hype and visit twodayblueprint.com today. Now, back to James with This Month in Real Estate Investing. All right, let's get back to the news from Commercial Observer. We work fighting to remain traded on the New York Stock Exchange. The uh, stock actually first dipped below $1 in early March and jumped back up soon after and then fell again. Um, March 22nd, it's at, or it was at 48 cents a share. So uh, have either of you guys used WeWork? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, there's there's a, a, I think there's a competing company here in Utah. I actually worked, um, I think it was called Vivo Offices is where I worked. It's kind of the same style. I might have even worked at WeWork. I, for the last five years, I've kind of tried different these different spaces because they're pretty affordable. And then they're month to month. So you can bail, you know, if you want to try something else. And yes, yeah, so I've worked at them. And I, I think the business model makes sense. It's like, hey, not everybody wants to commit to a lease. Not everybody wants to, uh, you know, go through that whole process. So it's really easy. You just uh, pick a place. You agree on a month to month or you can great, agree to a year. So I've done it. Seems good. I didn't know that they were going under or not doing well. It says in this article that they're, you know, risking getting taken off the stock exchange and going into penny stocks and they don't want that to happen. So I'm really wondering what's, uh, you know, the article doesn't explain too much about why they're not successful as a business model, but I think it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't know it was going over neither because I never was at WeWork, but I was in spaces in Hollywood. And I mean, well, now that I think about it, because I moved like two years ago and that spaces, the prices did start to like go up. So we were like the last ones to leave. So mm-hmm. then I guess it all goes to say, whereas though you can either pay three grand to be in like a WeWork or spaces, or you can kind of like work from home and save that and use that for marketing money. So I can kind of see how it is kind of like the, you know, kind of like stray away pretty much. So, yeah, but if it goes on a penny stocks, it's like, man, that's going to be a little crazy. And I, I invest in real estate, but I might, I mean, if, if the stock goes down a little lower, I just learned something new today that I mean, I think I'm going to invest in WeWorks because I believe they will come back up. <laughs> well, what, uh, what happens is um, I think the pandemic really took those places out, right? Because that's actually what happened. I was at a, it might've been Vivo or WeWork, but right when the pandemic hit, it was all, I was on a month to month and I was like, why am I even working at an office? I can't even go anywhere. Right. So um, I just started working at home and I put my whole team virtual during that pandemic time. So yeah, you're right. I think what happened in 2020, well, in that, that time period, I think that's when they really suffered. So they might, they might bounce back, but the article doesn't look promising. Yeah. And yeah, we've, we've talked about them on the show before. 
they've been been struggling <clears throat> and I, I do see that they um, they their negotiations to restructure a three million dollar debt with SoftBank um, and I'm not sure if they already got an infusion of funds from Yardi uh, so you know they're trying to figure it out but, you know you talk about spaces but there's competition out there yeah you know. Yeah. I know with, with EXP Realty, we've got access to Regis spaces as well. So it's, it's they're not the only one on the block. So competition mm -hmm. could, could be tough. Although they probably got the biggest name out of all of them. You know, it, it, pretty much everybody knows WeWork. Yeah, yeah, but you figure, like you said, Regis and Spaces. So it's Regis and Spaces under the same umbrella. So I think they have like a longer reach because, you know, they're international and all that stuff too, pretty much. So. They might market a little bit more as well. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's jump to the next news from SF Gate. Sonoma County to remove racist restrictions in millions of real estate documents. So, yeah. wow. That's amazing. That's good news. I don't yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. That's that was even a thing, man. That 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 they would even put covenants and things into agreements that that were racially, you know, discriminatory. So, it's wild. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe it's all about your work ethic and who you are as a human being. And I'm like, even watching this, I, I was in Napa like like 2 months ago, so I mean, I I felt kind of comfortable up there, so I didn't feel like nobody was looking at me kind of crazy, but Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, Nathan, it is crazy that, you know, they do have all those things in the documents. And sometimes when you actually sign in, when you sign in over to get a home or, or any type of real estate, there's be so many documents. Somebody really don't really know what you're actually signing unless you're one of those analytical persons who read everything step by step. And you'll be in that closing, I guess, for like, what, three or four hours, opposed to a good 30 to 40 minutes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're in, in lending, right? Yeah. Redlining, you're fully aware of that practice where they outline areas and move people away or two terms. Crazy. I mean, no, but look, but I actually had two situations. So it's crazy that you said redlining. Um, I had a client, her house was worth like 850,000. She came to me from like Wells Fargo. It was a fallout loan. I went and put it in um, with somebody else and a freaking appraisal came in for 450,000. And I was like, man, and she was like, um, you know, um, African-American lady, like 78 years old. And she said she was talking to the um, talking to the appraiser. And then, you know, he kind of was acting like kind of weird. But for a house to come in $400,000 under was kind of crazy. So then we kind of took the pictures out of the house and all this type of stuff. And we had to get a new appraisal. And it came in and appraised at 830. Oh, so that's God. like a <laughs> that's like a big difference. So it's like, you know, when you, yeah, when you when you hear these things, but when you're actually a part of it, you like, man, it's like, yo, this stuff is like real. It's like we live in like way back in the 1960s and 2023. Like I said, history seems like it does repeat itself. They got to fire that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we complained. And yeah, she has this big thing going on about that pretty much because yeah. I can see if your house is 20,000, maybe 30,000 under, but to be under like 400 grand, it's like, oh, something's wrong. Well, yeah. what an appraiser, whether he was a complete racist or not, have to gain by changing those numbers so vastly yeah that's yeah that's crazy i guess i just don't understand the appraisal yeah. side of me they're they're working for you as a lender you hire them uh -uh. 
No, 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 no. No, appraisers is just one misconception. Appraisers, they're independent contractor. They don't work yeah. for us. As a matter of fact, you hire them. They can't even, we can't even really like speak to them because it's like we talk to them. It's almost like we're kind of like uh, misconstruing the numbers and stuff like that. So they're like independent sure. contractors. They yeah. give you like a value. They give you like a opinion of what they believe the home is worth pretty much. So that's what it is. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Pretty crazy. Um, you know, that, that the redlining was made illegal by the Fair Housing Act in 1968. So it's, it's crazy that they didn't redact a bunch of this stuff, like right off the bat, or at least start the process. Yeah. So let's go to our next news item from Commercial Property Executive. The rise of office to residential conversions. That is happening. Uh, do you guys know much about that or have seen seen it happening around where you guys live? I personally, I haven't seen that in the Salt Lake market where I'm at, but I'm reading about it and uh, makes complete sense. You know, with yeah. the uptick of uh, vacancies and and not, um, you know. I guess brick and mortar buildings not being as in demand, it makes sense to take those office buildings and turn them into convert them into residential. It makes complete sense. So uh, I guess my question is how do you get into that? Cause that sounds like something I, I would want to figure out. I think that's amazing, amazing strategy Buy an office building and then convert it. Yeah. Um, makes sense. I, th I think there's a lot of office buildings where I go and you can just tell there's no one in there or it, with a little bit of paint and, you know, remod, you know, remodeling, I, I would be a great location, great spot for, for apartments. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to get in something like that, you just need a construction loan. So pretty much, um, say for instance, the, the building, say the building is like a million bucks and then it would be like $500,000 like to, to do that conversion, like to, um, it'd be like 500 grand just to convert it over. But after you finish, you can sell the condos off like $3 million. You would have to bring, um, let me uh, get my calendar. Let me see, a million, 150. You had to bring like 225 to the table, like 225,000 to the table. You would need like a scope of work from like a general contractor, somebody who actually done that before. You mm -hmm. can actually do that. You can actually start that process. And even, say for instance, Nathan, you say, I don't have the $225,000. You can actually just start to, you know, reach out to some friends who you know that's wholesalers. You can actually reach out to a doctor that you know, like a lawyer, or people that you're networking with. And you can actually raise capital for that deal right there so they can actually come into your deal with you so you can do that conversion and then you figure like i said if you're a, if you're like 1.5 million in it and then your exit strategy is going to be three million dollars you can actually refinance pay your investors off you can actually have that um had an asset to yourself pretty much or you can still keep them in an asset so that's mm -hmm. something that you kind of want to learn or get into i mean that's what i do so that's why i say the legacy builder club you know we show others how they can get into real estate using your money or you can actually raise private capital and then, you know, I have a mortgage company so we can actually fund those deals too. So that's, that's kind of like, I think you kind of like, you missed it a little bit when me and James was talking, but it's yeah, kind of yeah. like right there pretty much. So you, that's amazing. You I got you. So are you, would you know what areas of the United States are allowing this office conversion? Like do you, do you specifically work with office conversion to a residential? Or are you talking like apartments and other other 
No, uh, so the, um, so office conversion, even like in the area where you had, um, even where you are, you only thing you have to do is go with the um, city planning board and just see if you you are allowed if you can convert this office building over to residential. So if it's in a commercial district and things that nature, it's going to be like a lot of red tape that you have to go through. It may okay. take like a year, maybe a year and a half to actually complete the project. But once you're finished the project, then you're going to be gold. So you just got to just leave. Like I say, go to your um. To your, um, to your little local city building and, and look at the plans and see if you can convert it over and you just start there. And then from there, you can just go ahead and start doing it because that's how life is. Once something enters your brain and you say, hey, that sounds interesting, and you tell yourself you want to do it, once you work towards doing it, then I mean, it can happen. It's happening for them, so it can happen for you as well. No, I love that. So so you're saying if you wanted to start, this, uh, this article is talking about how a lot of people are doing this, right? The converting offices into residential. So you you would have to go to your city to verify if uh, what what property that commercial building's in or that location, what it's zoned. Is that what you're saying? You have to see what it's zoned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go to um, so say for instance is one two three Main Street. So you go down to your um, district and say one two three Main Street. So it can be zoned C commercial, and then you ask them and see what ordinance or what other city ordinance you have to do to actually convert that over to residential or might can be like a mixed use. So it depends on, you know, what they allow you to do. So say for instance, just talking numbers, it could be um, office building. It could be like a hundred units, but you have to have some little retail space down at the bottom. You might got to have like a CVS or 7-Eleven or something like that at the bottom, then you would just kind of like do that within the guidelines to get your residential because your residential is going to be more than a commercial, but you'll still be within the realm of what the city wants to be in that particular area. Wow, that's cool. I like that. Antonio put in the notes, uh, the National Enquirer, National Enquirer building in New York City is now being converted to residential. He said National Enquirer? Yeah, the National Enquirer. Wow, okay. That's a big ticket one right there. And so, yeah, that's going to be, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of the other challenges are location. We talked about permitting. And, um, but, you know, somebody might, might not want to live in a business park, right? Like everything else is residential, is more designed around stores and, and stuff. And then there's, there's challenges with the configuration. Like, imagine, you know, ten office offices in a row with a hall and a shared bathroom. Well, now you got to plumb in a separate yeah. bathroom for each That's unit. True. That's true. It could yeah. be the cost of doing that. It can be really challenging. So, but they're doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, when you're an investor, so what happens is when you're an investor, you kind of look at all that. So mm-hmm. even like you said, if it's, um, if it's 10 offices next to each other with only one bathroom, then you wanted to make them like um, like um, 10 units. You would just, if it's going to cost you 300000 per unit or, or 200000 per unit, you would just, you will pass that, you will pass that off to the, um, to the person who's going to buy the, who's going to buy that. The only main thing with that is just the parking and parking they somehow can just dig underground or something like that just have a parking lot because there's going to be more people parking for where they're actually living like that yeah it's all about the numbers yeah <laughs> life yeah. is the numbers thing pretty much yeah it looks like uh governments are giving incentives too that uh could really help you know alleviate the higher cost of building those out so let's jump into the next one from fox business Real estate expert shreds Biden rule punishing homebuyers with good credit. 
it's madness in quotes um dana you're probably aware of what's going on there right yeah yeah yeah, i thought that i mean uh, yeah that's uh, i was uh, that kind of made me a little speechless it's like i mean in school you got good grades and they gave you candy and stuff like that now you get a little older you you get good grades because it's a good credit and you say hey you got to pay more for the people who are not keeping that credit up but i mean i don't uh I don't really, yeah, this, it kind of confuses me a little bit pretty much. So we're, we're going to actually see how that goes within the coming months. Yep. Yeah, it's not good on it. Everybody's <laughs> shaking their heads like, what? Yeah. I, or, I mean, or shaking their fists like, pissed, right? Like, it's yeah, not yeah. fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't get no accidents or anything like that. And then you say, hey, my insurance goes up. But the person who gets in a lot of accidents, then insurance goes down. I'm like, hold up. I'm confused over here. Stop, yeah. stop, go backwards, <laughs> but I don't know. That's my thought process on that on that on that topic. How about you, Nathan? I don't even know what to say. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Everybody was speechless on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think I, I don't know what they're what they're trying to do. It doesn't sound like it would help. Uh, it helps, but I can't speak to what they're doing. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my that's my team. Yeah. What about you, James? What's your, what's your thought process on it? I don't know. It's, it's, I, I have the feeling with all the outrage, they're going to roll that back. Like, yeah. I don't know how it got through in the first place. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, hey, let's take another break here from our sponsor. It's me again, Antonio Holman, founder of United States Real Estate Investor and producer of This Month in Real Estate Investing. You know, one of the best ways to increase your company's brand awareness and increase warm leads is to create written content online. But as we know, content creation can be very time consuming and not very cost effective when having to pay professional copywriting fees. It's time to use REI Content Packs. REI Content Packs, done-for-you content packs, give you the tools, flexibility, and cost-effective way to increase your brand's visibility and online presence without spending hours or even days stressing on what to create. REI Content Packs are a collection of high-quality, ready-made real estate blog articles exclusively created for the real estate investing industry. Can you imagine the possibilities if you could do two to three more deals per month without increasing your ad spend? REI Content Packs can help you do that. Can you imagine getting unlimited online traffic, increasing your Google ranking, getting more leads, and making more money? REI Content Packs can help you do that too. To get started increasing your brand's content and lessening your workload, head on over to thismonthinrealestateinvesting.com slash REI Content Packs. That's this month in real estate investing.com forward slash REI content packs. It's time to get off the online marketing hamster wheel. Try REI content packs today at this month in real estate investing.com slash REI content packs. Now back to James and this month in real estate investing. All right, welcome back. So, from Bitcoin Magazine. United States' first Bitcoin real estate marketplace launches through Coinbase integration. Uh, it, it looks like it was just Bitcoin and cash through, the, through that platform. I, I figured that there would be, because Coinbase has like all sorts of different cryptocurrencies. But anyway, I think it's pretty cool what they're, they're heading towards. You guys have any experience with Bitcoin? have your own have you used it to buy or had people pay you with 
Uh, my experience with Bitcoin is I've just been uh, investing in a um, in a, a little bit of it, and I'm, I think it's my mutual fund. I'm not very uh, what's the word like versed with stocks. I just put a little. I do uh, dollar cost average. I think mm-hmm. that's the word for it. You just like every day you put in the same amount. Um, and it's actually it's, investing in in crypto. Yeah, yeah. You can. Um, there's specific uh, ones that you can invest in that do Bitcoin. I can't remember like the, the ticker number or whatever, like the, the stock symbol, but uh, I've been doing My brother-in-law, he's all about the stocks and he's just like, do this. So I'm like, all right, I'll put money in it. And it's, it's, it was, it was crushing it during the pandemic right now. I haven't, I can look right now and see where it's don't, at. Don't look, don't look. You don't don't look. See. Is it bad? <laughs> <laughs> see, I don't even, I don't even look, bro. I just, I just know hey, it's a long, long play and uh, I got to put some money somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I just I actually logged into Coinbase because I've got some XRP in there just to see it. Yeah, it's doing good. It's almost almost okay. double what I paid. Okay, back up. How much is Ripple at right now? What's that? Uh, you said you had got XRP. How much is Ripple at right now? I know they was going through the SEC thing or something like that, but did it shoot up once they went through all that? Ripple, XRP? Yeah, the yeah, I, I was they actually credited me like a little amount outside of that like my I don't, I don't know how to explain it i don't know what's going on i'm just like hey there's some extra money in there and it must have been from that that lawsuit uh but i would heard that that might still be going on oh wow okay. so i'm not sure but i don't know we'll see <laughs> it's like it was, that's the only only crypto i've bought is that and then all of a sudden there's like this whole lawsuit around i'm like what's going on and of course, there was a hot tip from a friend of mine that's way into it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah. At least it's up and not didn't go poof. So That's a good thing right there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually took a class, continuing education class for realtors on crypto and blockchain. It was really interesting. I think it's really heading the right direction, especially just the blockchain technology. Right, makes it just so much more secure, faster, yeah. cheaper, all of that. Um, you know, then the value and stuff of the actual cryptocurrency that, that's a whole other subject. But the, the technology, this blockchain, they're saying the blockchain might be trying to take like the title companies and stuff out because they're saying that you can do like the smart contracts and all that type of mm-hmm. stuff on the blockchain. So, yeah, go for it. Right. Title companies, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Or at least support them and just make it faster because title companies and the whole process in the back end is <laughs> it's it's slow to change. There's a lot of a lot of things that I that could be approved for sure. There's a lot of moving parts. Yes, there are. Yes, mm-hmm. yes there are. <laughs> hey, where are you EXP at, James? I'm in Colorado. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, yeah, yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing like a HELOC. I'm doing like what a HELOC for somebody in Colorado and a purchase. So yeah, that's a, that's a thriving market over there as well too, though Colorado. But did it start to die down a little bit? Oh yeah, yeah, it's cool yeah. down. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. listing a house for. I got two listings right now, and the price has had to come down for sure. Wow. Yeah, but we still have limited inventory, but the rates have really made it hard How for people to afford. Prices? You dropped the prices down by like what, like like fifty hundred thousand, something like that. Yeah, in some cases. How long are you on the market for now? 
They are like 30 days, I think. Mm. Back to the old days. Yeah. Darn us, small people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that company's sat for a little bit. But yeah, that was kind of earlier. You know, a month ago was different than now. You know, so it's really heating up this time of year. Yeah, yeah. It's been heat up because it's starting to get warm and stuff like that. So when it's warm, people like to be out. They want to be active. Hey, honey, let's go look at this house on Saturday. And yeah, you, you're you a little bit more free. So yeah, you make um, impulsive decisions right there when the weather's feeling a little good. Yep, totally. And then, of course, it starts tapering off midsummer with people are like, well, we just want to go on vacation. We don't want to be looking at houses, right? So mm -hmm. this is the hot time. Yep, yep. Get it while it's hot. <laughs> yeah. Let's jump into this next Man, article yeah. from Globist. Uh, Sam Zell thinks workers will return to the office. Um, I, I don't know if anybody knows who Sam Zell is. He's a commercial real estate legend. And I guess he, he was in front of a, a group of NYU grad students and kind of giving them the, the hard truth that Everybody's gonna have to go back to the office. Um, you know, a lot of younger people just think, "Oh, it's gonna be great." We can. I mean, to get yeah. Out. I mean, I mean, to get more productivity. You want to get, um, I guess, what Nathan was saying earlier. You want to get more productivity and things. That makes you have somebody being accountable, and you know, you're not kind of just like because typically when you're not in the office, you you like you're calling on the telephone, doing do customer service. You're hearing dogs in the background, kids crying, and all that mm -hmm. type of stuff. Right. Sometimes you might be on hold for like an hour or 45 minutes, but it's something that you really need to do. So you have to stay on hold for 45 minutes or hour. So you're back in the, in the office, you're going to see the productivity and the numbers are going to start to just rise. It's going to be like better for everybody, truthfully. Right. I agree. I, I think uh, they're going to start making people come back to see that productivity. Plus, like, you know, they, they have they have these softwares that you can like monitor people's like work, but. There's nothing like seeing being able to be in the same room with somebody and listen to their calls, especially if you're training them on something like versus, you know, virtual training. Yeah, that's one point that Sam Zell was pointing out, like, especially new people to an industry, it's they're going to learn way faster if they're in person, can just, you know, ask somebody right next to them, you know, help you coach, coach them along. Mm -hmm. So, makes sense. you know. Let's see from Ben Zinga. Got that one right this time. You can only irritate short-term rental owners for so long. Is this the beginning of the end for Airbnb? Man, that's a good question. I, I thought I've been hearing a lot about, I don't have any Airbnbs. I do long-term rentals, but I've been wondering like what's been causing this Airbnb create like uh, these issues. It's like, People are still traveling. Even if travel goes down a little bit, I feel like Airbnbs still are, are pretty uh, useful. But uh, according to this article, it just says that the restrictions on neighborhoods is, uh, you know, getting more difficult. If there's an issue with the tenant, Airbnb usually sides with the tenant versus the owner. And so in the fees are increasing the Airbnb charges uh, from the rents or for the, for the stay. So, I guess all that I did not, I wasn't aware of all those issues, but I guess if you keep on raising your fees, tenants mess up your property and they, and the Airbnb doesn't have your back. I guess there, a lot of people are going to stop using them. Yeah. Yeah. There's other options too, right? Um, 
VRBO. Yeah. I think that there's another one in Texas that a lot of people use. I can't remember the name of it, but um, I don't know. And there's, it's just oversaturated too. That, that's making it very hard for people to make as much money as they were before. It's mm. it to a point like there's so much management built into that, you know, cleaning every day, every other day or whatever. That's costly. So it's oversaturated with a bunch of different units competing. You got to start lowering your prices. And then pretty soon it's not worth spending the money. On yeah, I have noticed that because I do travel a lot with my wife. We like to go to like national parks and stuff. And usually like a hotel now is way less expensive most of the time than Airbnbs because you know, Airbnb, you have the fees, the cleaning fee, uh, like it just adds up, right? And the taxes. So you'll be looking at an Airbnb that maybe will be like 150, 99 bucks a night or whatever. And when you check out, it's got like another $200 of fees. And you're like, what the heck? This is, you might as well just go to a, a hotel or a nice, a, a nice place where I don't have to worry about all this. So. Yeah, yeah. So you know what it is. And you're right, though, even um, how you're saying is, is, is oversaturated. I have a buddy of mine. He had like 20 Airbnbs in Houston and he started dwelling them down because he said, um, like to your point, James, is getting oversaturated because he's there trying to make a good profit. But then he's competing with somebody who might have been in their home for like 20 years or, or 30 years and they don't have a mortgage. So they can actually rent their house off for $40 a night, whereas though he needs to rent his off for like 90 to $120 a night in order for him to make a profit. So that's what kind of strained him down in the Houston, Texas market pretty much. It's almost like once anything goes mainstream and everybody, like you had three people on the screen right now. So say for instance, all three of us, we're doing Airbnb and we're making a just we're making a thousand dollars a month. But then when you get 30 people doing Airbnb, now we're making four hundred dollars a month. Now you got 50 people, now we're making three hundred, and then we get more rules, and it's starting to be like, whoa, it's too many people, more rules is not fun no more. So let's see what the next best thing is because everybody is on it. We all want to be entrepreneurs, we're all trying to survive because. Once again, all the prices are going up right now and the land is getting scarcer and yeah. <laughs> so that's how I see yeah. it though. So if, you're, if anybody's watching this and you're wanting to get into short-term rentals, because I'm actually getting one in Fort Myers on creative. That's uh, I'm getting it because there's like no money down to get into it. Uh, but uh, it, it also works as a long-term rental. So you don't want to bank on the short-term rental game like in, in that money that you're making to, to cover the payment or the mortgage because that, that might not be around forever. So when you're investing, you got to make sure you can cover it if you have to transition to a short-term, sorry, long-term rental game. Yeah, plan B. That's the strategy, yeah. That's smart, I like that. Yeah, like cities and HOAs can pull it at any point. You're like, oh, if, if selling is your only option, that's not good. So Yeah. Run, run the numbers for long-term rentals, for sure. Um, uh, Jesse Mills, one of my mentors, has a, a short-term rental. Really nice place down in Fort Myers, too. With him. Hmm. And it's been doing good. I think he's down there right now, getting away from the it's still snowy and cold in Minnesota. <laughs> so, Dang. Nice place to get away, too. But just, let's jump into the next Benzinga article. Middle market multifamily housing construction, a bright spot in a sector that's ground to a halt. I actually didn't miss reading this one. I do know that uh, multifamily is 
some trouble, mainly just because of the financing, right? Because <clears throat> most syndicators put together these syndications and anything that they bought maybe five years ago, they got these short-term five to seven-year terms and they got to refinance. Now they're having to refinance at much higher rates. And yeah. It's, it's a problem. That's a it's huge problem. What about your cash on cash? Yeah, so you got to refi at a higher rate than it's like, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not debt servicing. So yeah, all about the numbers pretty much. It's not debt servicing. And it's like you're kind of going in reverse instead of going forward. I wonder, I worry for the people that, you know, over the last couple of years that got into those really low rates, those bridge loans, right. That are going to have to refinance out of those. Oof. They're about to refinance in this like double, triple, probably what their rate was. Mm -hmm. It won't make sense for them. I was talking to um, one of my um, cousins in Arizona. He works for uh, one of these, uh, I would say probably. Uh-oh. His cousin in Arizona come and snatch him. He was telling the secrets. Don't tell us those secrets over there in Arizona. <laughs> he lost Nathan. <laughs> he might come back again like a ghost. Oh, there he is. He's back. Nathan, I don't think you're supposed to tell us your cousin in Arizona name. I think he came in and snatched you off the screen. Don't tell his story. <laughs> That's right. The guys were they were like, cut him. But yeah, you know, he was just telling me that he actually built he built the website to because he knows that this is happening because he works with a lot of these um these multi-units he knows that the some ish is going to hit the fan and a lot of these guys are going to try and figure out a way to get out of these because they're not gonna be able to refinance and, and have it make sense so he's trying to figure out a way to like capitalize on that happening mm -hmm. he was telling me like a website he created where people can go and um you know put their information so, so he can make an offer on their properties still i don't i don't get how if someone is upside down though how they're gonna be able to get out of it they're that I don't do you guys know how that works? Like if someone is trying to refinance and then they can't into a better rate. They I, mean, just have to walk asset, I mean you just stay in the asset a little longer. So even even if your bridge loan or whatever loan you're in, you just kind of get hit with like the fees just to extend it. So you just extend it until the rates go down. You know what what comes up has to go down eventually one day pretty much. But then even uh one thing about multifamily is even though the rates are going up the more value add that you do, the more that you kind of raise the rent is going to take the value up. So like you might have one asset that's worth like 3 million, but if you raise the rent, it depends on if it's like a hundred units, you raise the rent by like 150 bucks, then um, the value might be like worth like 5.2 million. So the value will go up like that. So even if you're refinancing at a higher rate, you still can take that kind of like that cash flow and it's still offset everything. So it's all about just the value add in it. So that so would be the plan. For a single family. So that would be the play then, like if if you're trying to refinance and and it's not a good or the rate is going to make it so you don't cash flow, you'd raise the rates, raise the rents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. Raise the rents, you're going to raise the value of the asset pretty much. Yeah, if you can, right? And that's yeah. most indicators. That's their play, right? Unless you're Grant Cardone buying Class A, you're trying to build in value, and hopefully that play was enough to overcome that financing coming due. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a, Dana, you were saying fees, like it, when you get to that end of that short term, five to seven year, do you know, like, is there some kind of extension fee or something? Is that what you're getting yeah, at? Like, yeah. To, to yeah, even a, yeah. Even a, um, even with the, with the lender that you're with, you'll just kind of like, yeah, you'll just pay like the extension fee pretty much because they're not going to come. They're not going to um, um, come foreclose on the asset. So, yeah, you just pay the extension. And like I said, you can do stuff like, Add in reserve parking, 
Um, you can add in like a laundry service. You just add in like little things right there just to raise the rent up. So like I said, you can take it up anywhere from like 50 bucks to 100 bucks. And once you take it up, it takes it takes the value of the, um, of the asset up. So even if your rate, even just talking numbers, even if your rate is like a 5%, even if your rate is a 5% at like 3 million bucks, but then you you take that value up to like 5 million and your rate goes up to 6% or 6.5, you'll mm -hmm. still be able to refi out some sort of cash to pay your investors off and you'll just still have it. You'll just like a debt service might, even though you, even if you were making like $400 a month, you might just, instead of making a 400 bucks a month, you might be making like 350 a month, but you still raise the value in that asset to pay your investors off. And you still have that, um, that, that commercial building, that multifamily. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like, like a monopoly. Basically like Burr, this apartment business. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's see what our next. The next major topic is. Oh, it's our fun news item. Nine business habits to avoid at all costs. I'll just rattle them off and you guys can comment. Yeah. Worrying about the competition. Hoping people will buy instead of giving them a solid reason. Trying to do it without a coach or a mentor, not being organized and or prioritizing, not offering what clients need or selling a result, not differentiating yourself, wasting time planning and not taking action, giving up trying something after trying once or twice, and waiting until the time is right to make big decisions instead of going for it. Oh, yeah, I agree. They're all bad business habits. Do the opposite of that because <laughs> you need a mentor. Because one thing about, I mean, even that's one thing I chomped in on because I'm a part of like a lot of mastermind mentorship programs. Um, you need one because they kind of give you like a fast forward or fast track to success. Because what what can take me like two or three years to do after my learning, if I have a mentor, then I might can do it in like three or four months. So it's almost like one thing about time, you can't get time back. So if you can actually shave off time in your learning curve, that's going to help out a lot. 100%. So you'll win more than you'll lose with that aspect. Yeah. I spent pretty good chunks of money on mentorship, but I'm sure it saved me. Even one deal that you lost or you got because you knew some little trick can, mm -hmm. can be worth every penny of that and yeah, save you yeah tons of time years of time right because yeah. somebody else has done the hard work and made the mistakes but you know what i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you heck um one of the hacks is um like what i tell my wife too because i'm a part of the grant card on 10x i'm a part of pace more be sub too so even when you look at what you pay for these mentorship programs the connections that you make when you're in these masterminds is like it's prices so you might pay like 10 grand or 20 grand for one but like you said often you're getting the knowledge and also you might be able to squad up or do a deal with somebody so that one deal could be 10,000 and you're doing a deal with three different people. You made 30,000. So you already made 10,000 off, off your money. You also made like a lifetime connection with a person because people really do business with people where they know, like, and trust. And it's almost like once you can see somebody on a face-to-face, -face, like how we're like on the screen right now on, um, on Zoom or this, um, I think, schoolyard or whatever it is, stream yard. How we're here right now, but imagine if we were like face-to-face and we actually pay for this. And then, you know, we got to fill each other out and we're going to start dealing deals with each other. So who cares what you pay for that mastermind? It's all about longevity. So that's how I pretty much look at it. And it's been working. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm in sub two also. Are you in sub two? That's what's up. The peace yeah. sign. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah. 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 
No, I'm not in sub two. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bunch of different ones. I'm in the family mastermind. I've joined like Sean Terry's six figure syndicate. I've done tons of tons of them, which are great. You know, they're all there. You know, you come to a point where you're like, I don't, I don't think I have any more time to go to masterminds or <laughs> coaching. That's kind of like where I'm at. I'm a, at a, I'm a part of a couple of masterminds right now, which is amazing. And the amount of information you can learn is great, but you know, I don't know if you guys have come to that point where you're like, man, there's a lot, lot uh, that they're providing. I don't know if I can attend everything. <laughs> yeah. 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 You got to knock one thing off and then keep going to the next one. Cause all of them going, it's, it's like what you call it. The shiny object syndrome. So yeah. all of them sound real good. So you got to mastermind where you're at now and then go on to the next one. But like I said, but like when I kind of join them, like you're getting a mentorship, you're learning from the mentor. But like when you like in a mastermind, and say for instance, like a sub two or say for instance, zero one is like there's 100 or 200 people. When you actually go to these live events, is where the magic happens pretty yeah. much. So like, like when me and you were talking earlier, James, you were saying that the rates are going up and the real estate market slowed down. Remember, I told you I was a part of the mastermind. So being as I was a part of these real estate masterminds, I'm going in there because I'm an investor. Say, so, yeah, I'm an investor. I do fix and flips in Baltimore, but you know, I own a mortgage company too. And they just, everybody bullied me and said, Dana, you're going to do my mortgages. You're going to do my mortgages. I'm like, yo, hold up. The market is slow, but for me, it's not because I'm doing all these DSCR loans. Mm -hmm. So it's all about how you kind of going there. And I'm like, yo, it, I mean, it, the mastermind paid for itself. <laughs> so true. So true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, guys. That's that's the end of the show. Appreciate you being on here. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Jason Palliser's Two Day Investment Blueprint and REI Content Packs. Our guests have been Nathan Payne and Dana Jones. You guys have been awesome. Uh, in that same order, why don't you guys let people know how they can connect with you if you have something you can share? Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, if you guys are interested in, in learning how to get started in uh, real estate investing the, and what I teach is the most profitable, efficient and effective way to get started, especially if you're, uh, you know, brand new, uh, go to painlesswholesaling.com. So the link's right, right here. Um, there it is. And I, I run a free uh, mastermind, a masterclass every Thursday where I teach people exactly how to develop uh, relationships with top uh, buyers in their in their market and how to find out what deals they need and how to make money. And I did actually, I did a 30 day challenge where I, I, I went to a brand new market with no money, with no um, experience like in that area. And um, I got a deal in 17 days and that's the one that I'm doing right here in Fort Myers. And then my, one of my employees did it too. And he made a $20,000 deal going to a brand new market, uh, spent no money, brand new relationships he developed using our method. So it works. If you want to learn how we did it, go to the masterclass. We'll explain how we did it. Ooh. I love it. I love it. And yeah, my name is Dana Jones of the Legacy Builder Club. So what I do is I actually teach investors how to get into real estate. So whether you want to do fix and flip, you want to do buy and hold, but like as we kind of went over with this show right now, everybody's going to multifamily. So a lot of people that are getting into multifamily, they don't know how to actually raise the capital for these deals as far as syndication. So that's what we do at the Legacy Builder Club. We actually show you how to raise capital for your multifamily so you can kind of graduate from single family to multifamily. And then the capital that you that you can't raise, then we can at e-plan and mortgage, we can actually do the finance or do the funding so we can actually get you in that deal. So we can actually teach you how I was actually telling you guys the tips and tricks, how you can actually do value add in class B multifamily properties and actually bring the value up. So you can check me out at LegacyBuilderClub.com or follow me on Instagram at Dana Jones the Mogul.
and I'll be happy to help you out in any which way and show you everything about real estate from A to Z. Fantastic. They stay on after the show, guys. Okay. Uh, also, thanks to our producer, Antonio Holman with United States Real Estate Investor. Follow and subscribe to This Month in Real Estate Investing on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at United States REI or your favorite podcast app. And remember, when one door closes, another door opens to financial freedom. Take care, everybody.